Hi, and thank you for joining us today on the Redeemer Church podcast. At Redeemer, we are committed to connecting people to God's transforming love. And we hope that this podcast is just one more way you connect to God's presence this week. We are currently in a teaching series called Fixed Identity. During this series, we are focusing on finding our fixed identity in Christ rather than any false source of self the world would offer. Discovering how God wants to change your life by changing how you see yourself. So here is week three of Fixed Identity from Pastor Bill Clark. Well, good morning, everyone. How good to see you. Um, I'm on my little perch again because I've got a hurt foot and I wore these bright white socks. So in case you get bored, that this that this will awaken you. So for the rest of the message. So that's the reason for that. And how about that saxophone? Was that not cool? Yeah. When I was in elementary school, I played the clarinet for two years, and I thought the saxophone was so cool that I asked my teacher if he thought I was ready for the saxophone, and he looked at me and he goes, no. (laughs) So I never played the saxophone, but man, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. I have a question for you today. I wish I could um, ask all of this individually with all of you but I'll just do it as a group. The question is, who are you? It's a question about identity. Who do you see yourself as? It's a question about the most fascinating subject in the world, you. Now, I need to modify that a little bit. You see, there are two two great truths in life. Number one, the first is that there is a God. The second great truth is, it's not you or me. A person's search for their identity is really a never-ending quest. We're a lot of things. All of us are a lot of things. We may be a parent or a child, a mother or a father, a student or an employee or a brother or a sister. We're a lot of things. All of us are a lot of different things. And all of those things are part of our identity as a human being. But if you think about it, everything that follows in life, everything that follows in our life by how, by how we answer that question, who am I? Who am I at the core? Am I what other people say about me or am I what God says about me? Who am I? Who am I as a person? This morning I have an answer to, to that identity question. And you may or may not agree, but here's my answer. I would submit to you, and if this is the only thing you catch from this message, then this will be worthwhile. I would submit to you, you and I are who God says we are. That's who we are. You and I are who God says we are. Countless academic specialties wrestle with the who am I question. Uh, psychologists, philosophers, poets, sociologists, and many others try to answer the who am I question. And all of them have their great value. But I'm going to propose that it is God who has the final say as to who we are. When Jesus was walking on this earth, people were always coming up to him and asking him a question. 
It was often the question. And the question people answer, asked of Jesus over and over again in the Gospels was, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be loved by God? What must I do to live life successfully? What must I do to do the right thing? That was the question they asked all the time. And Jesus typically responded this way. He said, tell me who you are, and then you will know what you must do. Tell me who you are, then you'll figure out what you're supposed to do. Tell me who you are. So today, this really important question is being asked in the midst of a different day and time, a different world than Jesus' time. In today's world, we're so heavily influenced by social media and by the media in general and other communications that lead to the thought that I am somebody if people know about me and if they see what I'm doing. That's a conclusion a lot of modern people reach. I am somebody if I get a lot of likes. I am somebody if I have a lot of followers. I am somebody if people know who I am and I have some significance, therefore, in this world. Or our culture tells us that we're somebody if we do certain things, are employed in certain ways, possess certain things, possess the right things, or have some kind of status, then we're somebody. That's sort of the world's message. We're somebody if we have a certain kind of status. And here's the problem with that from the perspective of Jesus. Jesus said, we, he never said, let me say this again, he never said that we should add a relationship with God or with himself to the long list of other things we have or believe. Jesus fully intends to remake our identity if we will let him. Jesus will remake our identity if we will let him. In fact, the Christian life is fundamentally an identity question. Who am I before God and before others? Who has God created me to be? What's he called me to do? Who has he called me to serve? Who has he called me to love? Who has he called me to help? That's all of those questions revolve around the central identity question. To believe in Jesus is to find out who we really are in God's perspective. That's the truth. To believe in Jesus is to believe and to find out who we really are in God's perspective. Now, this may be offensive to some, but I would say we don't really know ourselves fully until we know God. Until we know who God created us to be, we don't really know ourselves. And that can take time. That can take quite a while. It's a growing process. But knowing ourselves is not nearly as important as knowing who made us. Let me say that again. Knowing ourselves is not nearly as important as knowing who made us. In the first book of Peter, I don't even know the page number, so I won't ask you to turn to it, but it's toward the end of the Bible. The great apostle, Peter, was writing a letter to a 
to the Christians in a particular place who were under great persecution for believing in Jesus. They were suffering dreadfully for their faith. So Peter writes to these people in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and he, and he answers the identity question for a, a group of people who were really struggling, really, really struggling. Their faith was costing them a lot, and they were, they were looked down on. They were the dregs of society. They were, they were deeply wounded people. And here's what Peter tells them. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's the Apostle Peter doing an I answering an identity question. You're somebody. And the reason you're somebody is because you were chosen by God. You are a part of a royal priesthood, a chosen nation. You're somebody because God deeply, deeply loves you. Now, anyone at all familiar with the Bible knows that the original chosen people weren't those people. The original chosen people were the Jewish people. And back in the Old Testament, we're told over and over again in the Hebrew Scriptures about the chosenness of those people. And so Peter is borrowing, he's literally borrowing, plagiarizing, frankly, if you want to call it that, from Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, where God says this to Moses, you will be my special people out of all nations, for the whole earth is mine, but you will be for me a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Very same words. Very same words from hundreds and hundreds of years before. The very same words Peter is now borrowing them and applying them to the early Christians. You too are a chosen people. And it's not a replacement, it's you too are a chosen people. We, the people gathered here at Redeemer this morning and so many others, we are the spiritual descendants of the people to whom Peter was writing. We're the spiritual descendants. We're also those people. We're a chosen people, a part of a royal priesthood, chosen before the foundation of the earth, to be God's beloved. It's mind-blowing, really. It's an incredible thing. So we need to ask the question, what is this royal priesthood about? Well, we tend to think of a priest as someone who mediates between God and, and human beings. And since God is almighty and holy and human beings are sinful, we need a mediator, the priest, to mediate God's presence to us poor sinners. Well, that's not untrue. It was certainly true in the Hebrew Scriptures that that's what the priests were for. But we, we today don't need a mediator on this earth to help us reach God. 
Though we tend to think of a priest as one who offers sacrifices to God to other people, that's not what Peter means here. Peter doesn't mean that here. He means that anyone who follows Jesus has the right of access to Jesus directly. Directly. And further, he dares to say, that the followers of Jesus were members of this new Israel. This was our new identity. This was a radical thought. A thought that we didn't need a priest to go to God on our behalf. We could go to God ourselves. It's a radical, radical notion. So you might imagine, and you would be right, that Peter's words irritated quite a few people when he said them, including Jews, including the Roman government officials, and really anybody that thought this was pretty presumptuous. It was revolutionary. It wasn't just presumptuous. It was bizarre that someone would tell a group of people, you have direct access to God, and that they're members of the royal priesthood. And these people in this church to whom Peter was writing were generally poor. They were generally on the outskirts of society. They weren't famous people. They weren't wealthy people. These were the, these were the people who were on the lower end of the social spectrum according to the times of that day. This was a radical notion. And so when Peter wrote these words, Others who would have read them who weren't a part of the recipients of this letter would have heard that and said, come on, these people, these people are a royal priesthood? I was hoping for a little better group. But that's the truth. We're a royal priesthood. So what's that mean for us today? Well, the church is made up of a royal priesthood. I happen to have the role of pastor. Hopefully I'm serving in that role on, in God's call on my life with faithfulness and integrity, but I'm not the last word on anything. Let me say that again. I'm not the last word on anything. The body of Christ is. If I say something in this sermon you don't agree with, let me know. We'll debate it. I hope you're wrong, but we'll debate it. If I say something right in this sermon, let me know that too if you want to. But if you disagree with me, you're not disagreeing with the priest who is the one doling out the relationship with God. You have a direct line, a direct relationship with the living God. This message on identity is about that relationship. Your identity is someone who is chosen and beloved, a part of the royal priesthood. We're all priests. We can all serve God. We can all serve one another. We should all serve those who are in need. We should serve our families. We should serve our community. We don't have to rely on certain experts to do that. We're called to do it ourselves. Now, this passage is not at all controversial in the Protestant church. We, we, you would find that agreement across the board. There are well-meaning, good Christian churches who take a different view on this. And nevertheless, I believe passages like this are central to our identity and to our identity formation as Christians, as people. If that's so, you can consider yourself highly significant 
without a sense of it being prideful. Because no matter what else you do in this life, or no matter what else other people think of you, you are a chosen person, a member of the royal priesthood. That's an amazing thing. To put it in deep theological language, this is a really big deal. This is a really big deal. So let's put some application to this theory. If all followers of Jesus are part of the royal priesthood, then all of us are responsible for who we are. We're all responsible for who we are. We have to frame our own identity. That's our responsibility. We can't forever blame our parents for any mistakes they may have made. We can't blame our parents for how they raised us. We can wish that they might have done some things differently, but we can't blame our issues forever on them. We didn't get to choose our parents. They helped form our identity, but they're not the last word. We also don't get to choose when we get to live. We can't base our identity on the fact that we're 21st century people and we may or may not like some of what's going on. Our identity may be influenced by the times that we live in, but they don't define us. You might prefer to have lived 400 years ago. I wouldn't have. There were too many germs for me. I don't want any part of that. Got enough germs now, but I'm, I'm telling you, I, that doesn't form our identity. None of us can do anything about when we were born. But there are things we can choose, and that's part of our identity. We can and must choose how we treat other people. As followers of Jesus, that's very much a part of our priesthood, how we treat other people, how we treat people in need, how we treat people who may not agree with us, how we love other people. That's part of our identity, part of our calling. We can and we must respond to injustice that happens around us. We can't be blind to what's going on in our world that, that, needs, that needs God. We can't be blind to what goes on in our world when people are hurt unnecessarily. We can't be blind to the, to the problems of humanity. We, um, we can't be blind to the adversity that people go through whose lives may be very different than us. We can't be blind to that. We can choose how we respond to what we believe is unjust criticism. We can choose to ask God for wisdom in knowing when to speak and when to be silent when somebody says something to us. We can choose some things. That's part of our identity as the people of God. To close this message... I want to mention an encounter I once had with a therapist in a counseling session. Over the years, I've tried to be, uh, I've, been, I've been, made it a purposeful thing to be reasonably vulnerable about uh, my own battle with depression and anxiety. It's not something that uh, is every day for me, but it's something that's real for me. I choose not to, to, I choose to say that, not to get sympathy or to get criticism, either one for it. 
But I also have been open that I have chosen to go to counselors in my life to help me deal with it. I also want you to know I am medicated and dedicated. <laughs> and I have no apology for that. So one time I went to a counselor. And I went to him with my struggle with feeling depressed. And it's not the first time I'd gone to a counselor or to this one. And I was going through the counseling bit. And by the way, I very much believe in counselors and hope that if you have a need for one for any reason, you will choose that option. But I'm going to a counselor and I'm bemoaning my struggles with my depression. And I think I had gone on for maybe just a little too long for him that day. And as I was visiting with him, he said, he stopped me and he says, you know, Bill, you can choose how you feel about how you feel. Okay. Tell me what you mean by that. You can choose how you feel about this. You can choose how you respond. You are depressed. You're doing all you can to get better, and that's a good thing. Now, the choice is up to you to decide how you're going to cope with this. You can either see yourself as a permanent depressive, or you can get better. What happens, he said, next is your choice. Wow. I have to admit my first thought was, I'm paying good money to get beat up like this? Really? I come and give you the money and you help me out through this and you're telling me it's really kind of up to me? I guess it is. It is up to me how to respond. He was right. I wasn't powerless, but I had slipped into a mentality, which was somewhat understandable, but I had somewhat slipped into a mentality that saw my identity as a depressed person rather than my identity as a child of God who happens to struggle some days with depression. And that is a huge difference. It's a huge difference. What happens next was my choice. I wasn't a victim. I thought to myself in that moment, I will get better. It may take time, but I will get better. I will get a lot better. My condition wasn't my identity. My condition wasn't my identity. There's countless things that we can make our identity instead of the identity of being a child of God who is deeply, deeply loved by the Heavenly Father. There are lots of things. Peter tells us that our, our identity is that we are a chosen people, a member of the royal priesthood, a person who is not helpless, but who is here on earth to help those who may be helpless. Our identity as Christ followers compels us to care about others' needs and to know that God is looking after us as we do so. We are connected to unimaginable power through prayer. Let me say that again. We are connected to unimaginable power through prayer. Prayer is readily at our disposal at any moment, day or night, we can talk to this God who has chosen us and loves us and cares for us. That is our identity. 
and our communication with this one who forms our identity allows us to be healed and made whole through all kinds of means, through all kinds of means, but especially just through his gracious love. What's your identity? You may be here as a person with with a, a really serious medical condition. Do you know what? I grieve that for you. I really do. But that's not your identity. It's not. You may be someone here who's in a marriage that is full of fractures and there's a lot of infighting and struggle and heartache. That's not your identity. That doesn't have to be the identity of your marriage. God can help with that. And so can his people. You may be a person here who is struggling just like I have struggled with depression or anxiety. And really right now you just feel really kind of just lousy. That's not your identity. Maybe something you live with from time to time. It's not your identity. You may be a person whose faith is really struggling. Or you may be on the outside looking in on the whole matter of faith. That's good. It's good that you know that. But that doesn't have to be your identity. Your identity can be accepted and embraced as one who is deeply loved by the Creator God who made you for Himself. And you'll be restless until you find yourself in Him. So this morning, whatever your struggle, God wants to bring you out of the darkness and into His wonderful light. That's what God does. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the really what the miracle is of our identity. And if nothing else, if nothing else, Lord, that we take away from this, could we just see ourselves as deeply loved, deeply, deeply loved by you, the living God. And for whatever else is going on in our life, Lord, we trust you with it. You care for us more deeply than we can imagine. So for the promise of your love, for the promise of being chosen, for the promise of being a member of the royal priesthood, who'd have thought it? We give you thanks. Through Christ, the great high priest, who brings us to God. Amen. Thanks for listening today. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.